It's the summer of 2012. The Olympics, the best of the best from around the world, are all in London, England, to find out who will win gold in the women's tennis singles draw. The number one player entering the tournament was Victoria Azarenka. Number two, Agnieszka Radwanska nailed that. Number three, Maria Sharapova. And number four, Serena Williams. What the hell? Serena Williams was ranked at one point number four in the world at tennis? I didn't think she'd have 20 unbroken years of number one seeded tennis, but 2012 is deep in her career. She went pro in 95. It just doesn't even make sense to me. I guess I don't follow tennis close enough. How is all this possible? Well, this is my podcast. I'm supposed to answer that question for you. Apparently, in 2011, Williams walked on some glass, sliced a tendon in her foot. Blood was pooling on the floor. She passed out, needed stitches in both feet. Ended up getting two surgeries on her feet, one of which left her in a cast for 10 weeks and then a walking boot for an additional 10 after that. And when that injury finally healed, Serena was then diagnosed with pulmonary embolisms, several blood clots in both lungs and hematoma in her stomach. God damn. Serena said, quote, I was on my deathbed at one point, quite literally, unquote. So Serena, injured for months, confined to a bed for months, and then rehabbing for months. That's her 2011. But 2012, she comes back strong. She wins Wimbledon in July, then heads to the Summer Games later that month. And again, all coming back from all of these nasty injuries. Round one, she dusts Yelena Yankovic. Nailed it. Round two, she takes apart Ursula Radwanska. That's a different Radwanska now. Round three, Vera Zvonareva can get it, and she did. Serena in straight sets. Round four, the number one player, Victoria Azarenka, smoked. Serena, 6-1, 6-2, straight sets. And now in the Olympic gold medal final, Serena gets the tennis darling. The new face of the women's game at the time, Maria Sharapova. And how does the match go? It's like somebody asked Serena, how fast do you think you can win a golden medal? William six loves six one and how does she celebrate? She puts on her jacket and does a goddamn crip walk on the hollowed grass center court at the All England Lawn Tennis and Croquet Club. I mean, how great of a sentence is that? This is first battle. Welcome to First Ballot, the podcast that celebrates the moments in sports that really matter and inducts them into the First Ballot Hall of Fame. I am your host, Neil, the long-lost Gasol brother, the podcast Jordan Clarkson, the world's best Laker fan. I'm not the biggest Laker fan. I'm the best Laker fan. Coming to you live from the Shaquille O'Neal Big and Tall Office Depot Executive Suite desk chair in my makeshift basement recording studio. Today's episode could be sponsored by... That part of the Jodeci song where they go, baby, I'm begging, baby, I'm begging, begging, baby. Do you know that part of the Jodeci song? I bet you do. And if you don't, you should go listen right now. Hey, wait, let's do it together. Let's listen right now. Here we go. Baby, I'm Jodeci. I'm begging, let me in. 
Oh, man. What a great part of this song. This podcast could be sponsored by this part of that song. Jodeci, what a great band name, too. What does Jodeci even mean? Guest, our guest. You can't really start speaking yet. But do you know what Jodeci means? Does that mean something? It's an abbreviation of the names. Jojo, Casey, Casey? and Devante. Devante. Mr. Mr. Dalvin came later. So it was was Jojo, Casey, Devante, Joe D.C. I had no idea. That makes perfect sense. And that's... I want to say the reason, maybe the reason I never figured that out is because I thought there were four. I did. There I could not four. have told you the four, the fourth guy. What's his name? Mr. Dalvin? Mr. Dalvin. Yeah. So it was Jojo and Casey are brothers I, I, and Mr. Dalvin and Devante are brothers. So it's two sets of brothers. Oh, I didn't realize. Yeah. 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 And so the lead singers were Casey and Jojo. And then the producers and, and musicians and songwriters were Mr. Dalvin and Devante. I didn't realize. I loved, listen, Jodeci, they're fantastic. So, so was that song, but especially that part of the song. Stream some Jodeci today. Jodeci, throw some money my way. Help me out. Serena Williams, Crip Walk. Wait, guest, can I say can I say Crip or should I be saying Seawalk? Um, no, I, listen, you, I'm from New York. You're asking me about <laughs> Crip history? I have no idea. I have okay. no idea. I'm not the person to ask. <laughs> Serena Williams Kripwalk is without question a great and powerful sports moment, but is it a first ballot Hall of Famer? We have to decide that today. And here to do it with me is the guest you've already heard. Is pro- She's probably the smartest person I've ever worked with. She's a brilliant comedy writer. Listen to me when I say this. She's brilliant. She's a soon-to-be showrunner and director. She can do it all. Right now, she's the co-head writer and executive producer on a Black Lady sketch show on HBO Max, but she's also written for Wilmore. This week at the Comedy Cellar and more. She's a hysterical stand-up comedian. One of my true favorites with performances on Last Comic Standing and The Tonight Show. And check out her stand-up album, Big Dick Energy. And last but not least, she's also the author of the book, Fuck Your Diet, which won the African-American Literary Awards Best Comedy Book of 2020. It's the prodigiously talented, the Emmy-nominated, Chloe Hilliard. Yeah, I need you to send me that clip of my accolades because you performed them so beautifully. It's Thank so you. impressive. And you're doing it all as a black woman, which I you know, I wish that weren't it weren't the case that that makes it even more impressive that you've been able to fight through this truly awful and terrible industry. But uh, I'm so excited about where you're going. I'm your biggest fan. Thank you for doing the show. Thank you. Thank you. We made a late night pilot together. I loved making it with you. I've accurately predicted the trajectory of your career since that point i called it in the moment i've been right every step of the way i don't want to make this about me and my accurate predictions but i did accurately predict what your career would become what do you remember from that late night pilot um i remember that someone stole a pair of my sneakers that i left behind (laughs) is that true (laughs) yeah yeah Because, okay, I remember that we were in Vice, so we were in the Vice building, we were shooting a pilot that was supposed to hopefully be sandwiched between, um, at the time, Jesus and Mero and something else that they were launching. But then as we were shooting the pilot, Jesus and Mero left Vice, (laughs) (laughs) and then they were like, oh yeah, we don't have anything to anchor our weeknights anymore, (laughs) and we're not about to put our faith in this other show with three talking head comedians. That project, that pilot that we did, we shot it with you and Monroe Martin and Derek Gaines. 
that is the singular um, work for my career that if I had a time machine and I could rewind time and force the people that make decisions at Knife Point to change their minds, it would be on that project. That would have been so much fun to do. Uh, I loved that that series that I did with you. We, I thought it was fantastic. I thought you guys were fantastic. Yeah, I thought I thought it I thought we had a chance. I did. I really thought we had a chance. I thought that the three of us worked together well. I thought especially with us doing sketches because yeah. we can actually do the sketches. So, I think it would have had a lot of legs and could have done wonders. But again, you know, hindsight is 2020 if we right. had thought to maybe take it to YouTube, who right. knows? Yeah, but I know. Oh. You know. That's tough to think about brutal uh can we talk about your basketball career first before we dive into our moment sure you played basketball i don't i all i know is that you played but i don't know the details of you playing but you played correct what what at I what did. level did you stop playing um so i started playing basketball fairly late i started in ninth grade when i got to high school got and it. Because I'm an overachiever and a dork, I wanted to be as well-rounded as possible for college. So I was like, what are all the things that I can do? Right. Regardless of athletic skill, what are the things that I can do to make myself look like an excellent student body member? What a Such nerd. a dork. And I decided I wanted to do volleyball because it was like very feminine and like dainty and they were all like really pretty. And I'm here. I'm already 6'1 at 12 years old. So here I am trying to be like, what's going to make, you know, because in my mind, like in my mind, like it's weird because growing up as a black kid, right? I cons- I realized now I consumed a lot of television, but I was the only right. child. So I, yeah, was, yeah, yeah. I was a latchkey kid. I was home by myself a lot. And so for me, I always like idolize like the life of like the babysitters club, Nancy Drew, like Molly Ringwall. <laughs> I was like, I want, you know, I in my mind, I was like a white suburban teenage girl <laughs> who needed to have as many extracurricular activities right. as possible. Right. How was that gonna meet my boyfriend? How was I gonna like <laughs> how was I gonna go to the dance? Like right. me, mind you, there was no boyfriend, there was no dance, but like in my mind, like I would I wanted the Americana high school teenage experience. Right. right. And so I was like volleyball. And as I'm about to like sign up for volleyball, the basketball coach saw me and like like we made eye contact and he like ran up to me and was like, no, no, no. You, you don't want to do volleyball. You want to play basketball. Right. And then I said, okay, sure. And then also the, the winning factor was uh, the volleyball team wore panty shorts. And <laughs> one thing about me is my thighs have rubbed together since I was a young girl. Okay. So I was never going to be able to wear panty shorts. And jump in the air at the same time. So I wore basketball shorts that were a 3XL and lived my basketball dream life. Wait. So did you, did, you didn't play in college? You didn't play basketball in college? I played in college, but I went to I Division three school. So, so after yeah, four years, four years of, of high school basketball, I was good enough to get Amazing. the eyes of a Division three program, which was NYU. I didn't know that NYU even had a basketball team. NYU oh, yeah. has a basketball team? NYU has a basketball team. NYU What's the, what's is, the mascot? Oh, it's a Bobcat. The Violets. The NYU Bobcats? Bobcats. No, it's the NYU Violets and the Bobcat. Is, it's, listen, is, when people got okay. a lot of money, they could have multiple mascots. <laughs> I don't know why, but the team is called the Violets. And, the, and the mascot is a Bobcat. Got it. Um, why not? But... 
but NYU used to be a division one program during like the forties and the fifties, but they got, um, banned and, and kicked out for cheating. It was a big cheating scandal. Oh, that's fantastic. Once they lost, you know, and got banned, um, NYU rightfully and you know, the capitalism in them was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you can make more money, not yeah, trying yeah, to be yeah. Yeah, in yeah, yeah. a top sports <laughs> yeah. league. Yes. By just becoming an academic elite school instead of an athletic uh, elite school. And so they just make all their money from tuition. Smart. Uh, I uh, have a bunch of questions about your journalism career, which I also don't know much about, but those are coming up in a minute. Do you, before we move on, uh, do you have an NBA or WNBA player comp? Who did you play like? Which NBA or WNBA player did young Chloe Hilliard play like? Um, I would say... I mean, it's, it's sad because I started playing basketball before like women's basketball became like right. household names. So right. I, I had to model myself after someone and, you know, they always told me to be like Rodman or Charles Barkley. Cause I was a big person, AKA someone who ain't really scoring a lot, but their presence is felt. <laughs> so, you know, they told me, you know, just go down there and put the body on them. I just go down there and put the body on them. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, let's table set Chloe. What's your favorite sport? Your favorite team and your favorite athlete of all time. Favorite sport, favorite team, and favorite athlete. I mean, I would say I would say basketball is my favorite sport. I mean, I don't pay attention to much much sports now. I'm really into that like self care right. fitness journey that most people are <laughs> when they move to LA. I did Pilates this morning. I do hot yoga. You know what I mean? God like, damn, what happened to you? Yeah, I know. I have changed. Um, no. <laughs> It was all this was already inside of me, but now you can actively like do it more in LA versus right. New York, right? right and it's right, just right. much easier to drive to a yoga studio versus like I would never take two trains to go do some fucking yoga, right. but my studio was like fifteen <laughs> minutes from me a drive, you know. Um, but I would say basketball by default. Okay. Um, I would say you know Patrick Riley Nicks, so probably like John Starks, yep. Ewing, Anthony Mason, Oakley, you yep. know. Classic like blood in the garden, Knicks. Fuck a nigga up, like Knicks. <laughs> like I, I was just talking about the. Oh, I mean that's why we watched basketball back in the day because it used to come on like local TV and we were like, who are they gonna fight? Like these. But, see, it's so crazy because like I wish white people really knew what thugs were. Because I hate the fact that they use it for everything, like just right. so like nilly willy. It's like, right. nah, that Patrick <laughs> Riley, Nicks, those are some niggas. Those are some thugs. That, that you, when you talk about like bl- black athletes being like tenacious, no, no, no. Those was the goons. Those <laughs> really the goons. were. They had so many power forwards. They had like. Uh, Anthony Mason, Charles Oakley, Xavier McDaniel, just dudes that were literally in the league because they just fuck people up. Uh, you those know, teams like, were fantastic. okay. So, you know, like in um, Space Jam, where Jordan is playing the yeah. animated team, right. like the that's Monsters. that was the Knicks. The Monsters <laughs> was the Knicks. That was it. <laughs> just bullies. Uh, great answer. Um, Let's dive into our moment. We have to decide whether Serena's crip walk. I think I can say crip. If I can't, I'm yeah. just gonna have you censor all of them. I mean, uh, who's who's gonna who is maybe crip? Maybe any- Bloods listen to this. I don't know. The podcast is doing very well. Maybe Bloods are listening to this all across the country, and I don't want to lose them as an audience member. Okay, listen. I don't want to. I don't want to offend them. I'm a businessman, Chloe. I don't want to piss off the Bloods or the Latin Kings. <laughs> it could be can any you of them. Can you imagine getting a letterhead with stationery that said, like, Office of the Latin Kings? 
<laughs> outreach department, legal legal defense fund would like to cease and desist immediately. Yes, can you imagine? It could happen. We don't know. We have to decide whether Serena Skripal goes into the first ballot Hall of Fame. To do that, we have to go through our first ballot Hall of Fame credentials. Those are the categories by which we judge all of our moments. The first credential, as always. Analytics. There's a lot of numbers. The stats. People love stats in sports. My God. There are a lot of numbers. I'm going to read some off to you. We'll comment as we go. A lot of these are time-based. You heard in the intro, a lot of these are time-based. 90 seconds to win the first game of the first set. I felt like a harbinger of things to come. Serena had one ground stroke, so she hit the ball once with her racket that wasn't a serve. Once in the first game. Three aces, one ground stroke, 90 seconds, one love, Serena right out of the gate. Game two, five ground strokes, 143 seconds to win game two. She's up 2-0 in like, you know, three and a half minutes, almost four minutes. Uh, d- eventually down five games to nothing. Sharapova tries to make her stand at the end of the first set. She's up 40 love. What happens next? Serena returns serve. Sharapova can't handle it. It's 40-15. Serena returns serve again. Sharapova doesn't even move. It's 40 to 30. Serena has to hit the ball twice on the next volley. Serena ties the score 40-40. Sharapova breaks the tie and takes the advantage, but double faults on her next serve, and the score is tied again. It's deuce. Serena takes the next two points, and this first set goes six love in just over 30 minutes. Six love in 30 minutes. She's a goddamn buzzsaw. How much tennis do you watch? What were your thoughts of that first set? Okay, so as you were saying all these stats, I realized that I do not know how to keep scoring tennis. (laughs) And I think a lot of people don't know how to keep scoring tennis, (laughs) but that shows you the power of the Williams sisters because we would watch (laughs) knowing that we didn't know what the fuck 15 love was, 30-30. Like, I never got into it. My parents learned it. They knew every year my parents would go to the U.S. Open. They would get, like, cheap tickets. My dad dad worked there. I worked at the U.S. Open a lot. Like, you didn't notice. I worked. Like, my first summer job was working at the U.S. Open. So I would Ugh. see them like on a warm up course. I would see everybody coming oh in gosh. for like two weeks every summer from like age 15 to probably like 18. I would like go out there and work with my dad. And so I was always around tennis, but it never appealed to me. It was just right. me seeing them beating people. So yeah, it was great. She whipped her ass in a couple seconds. I love it. Oh my God. It's so, it's, it, that's very funny to think about you, the, sir, the Williams sisters, helped people appreciate and love the sport in spite of them really genuinely not really knowing what's going on or how the game works or how the scoring works. That mm-hmm. is, uh, could you, could anyone play a higher compliment to the Williams sisters? That's fantastic. Um, here are a couple more stats set to game one, three aces, 120 seconds. First game goes to Serena game two. I think Sharapova breaks in that moment. She's clearly frustrated. Game three goes to Serena in 105 seconds. I mean, I, I, those are, these are like, you know, in very important measures uh, in the game. These are very important milestones and she's just ripping them off in a hundred seconds count to a hundred. She's just winning giant portions of a sporting event in hundreds of seconds. It's just crazy to think about. Uh, Sharapova sort of in the death throes manages to take a game off of Serena Serena runs off the next three in 16 and a half minutes took her 62 and a half minutes roughly to beat Sharapova six loves six one an absolute buzzsaw performance her first singles gold medal 
Uh, Venus and Serena won doubles gold in the Olympics in 2000, 2008, and 2012. They won those doubles gold. So four gold medals total, four Olympic gold medals total for Serena. Um, Just a phenomenal athlete. Ten aces, 24 winners, only seven unforced errors. Your thoughts on Serena, her as a tennis player, and her performance in this Olympics? I mean, again, that was like the only reason why I even knew the Olympics had tennis. Have you ever, have you ever watched, (laughs) that's so fun. Have you ever watched tennis before the Williams sisters? No, I only know tennis as far as the black people who played that I could do book reports about. So that was Arthur Ashe. (laughs) Right. Right. Wilma Rudolph. Wilma Rudolph. And then there was a French guy with the locks. Yannick Noah. Him, whose son plays in the NBA That's now. That's right, Joaquin Noah. Um, and then the Williams sisters, and right. then Naomi Osaka. Right. And that's Coco about Goff. it. Coco Golf. Coco Golf. Yeah, that was it. That's about it. <laughs> uh, All time, Serena twenty and two against Sharapova. Serena career wise at won forty one sets compared to the seven sets for Sharapova. Sharapova actually won the second and third matchups with Serena. So there was a point in time in two thousand four where Sharapova was up career wise two one on Serena, and then Serena ran off nineteen straight victories against Sharapova. Uh, Serena needed three sets to beat Sharapova on three separate occasions. Otherwise. All straight set victories. Uh, Serena became only the second woman ever to earn the Golden Slam, which is a career Grand Slam that's winning the Australian Open, Wimbledon, French Open, and U.S. Open, and the Olympic singles gold medal. Steffi Graf is the other uh, tennis player to do that. Serena, though, is the only to win the career Grand Slam, the singles gold in the Olympics, and the doubles Golden Olympics, the only female tennis player to ever do that. Uh, amazing. A lot of great stats here. Uh, all of it additive. I think it's going to give this moment a good shot. Anytime you're talking about a Serena Williams moment, it's got a, it's got a puncher's chance to make the, the first battle hall of fame. Uh, let's move on to our next category. It's the eye test. What did you see in this moment, Chloe, as you watch it? What did you see in the video that might give this moment the, the added uh, push it needs to make the first battle hall of fame? Um, I think that the Williams sisters have been very vocal as part and as well as their father is about what it is having two black girls from the yes. inner city right. serve and and excel in this waspy white elitist yes. sport. Yes. And I think so often whenever we see a black person in a, a predominantly white space and they excel, we have to wonder like what did they have to do to get there? Like, what did Mm. they have to sacrifice to get there? Like Mm. how much of themselves did they have to minimize in order to be able to be in these spaces? And I think up until that point that the Williams sisters, um, especially with Serena now taking the lead as like the dominant Mm -hmm. of the two did really well as like playing nice. Right. Mm -hmm. They were always aware of like smiling and answering questions and being super polite and being engaging. And, you know, regardless of all the criticism that they got, they always were very gracious. And I felt like that moment when she crip walked, it was her being like, Oh no, 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 I'm black. Like I'm still black. Like y'all got it fucked up. Like, 
y'all, you know, I did everything you wanted me to do. And, you know, I know that her and Maria definitely had a lot of beef because Maria Sharapova was always complaining, mm-hmm. always pulling a race car, always, can I speak to the manager? They was always siding with her whenever she had a complaint. And it was always her against the Williams sisters. And, you know, we would look at her, that behavior now and, and dissimilar to right. like LSU and Iowa and be like, right. oh, this is clearly racist. Right. Like, yes. This is clearly funded by favoritism and racism. Mm-hmm. Like we no longer have to just say, well, she's so Serena's so good that she should be measured across the same, you know, broad uh, expectations that everybody else is like, yes, yeah, she's so good. And she's so good despite all the mm-hmm. obstacles that you've tried to put mm-hmm. in front of her. It's not like you're on an equal playing field. And so in that moment when she celebrated and was her authentic self, she's a black girl from Compton. It's like, oh yes, that she got to finally like break through and be herself and be undeniable and not have to hide these aspects of her childhood and her origin story anymore. Uh, that was perfectly said and there's nothing else to add. I'm not, I'm, I'm certainly not going to comment on it. That was uh, fantastic. And exactly why I wanted you to talk about this moment. Thank you so much. Um, the, I, I, just a couple of things I saw. I mean, that was fantastic. You nailed it. You're, you're you're very good at this. You're gonna this is gonna be a great episode. Uh, the 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 only things I saw, the, the just very small things, nothing that even holds a candle to that. Chelsea Handler's in the crowd. She's sitting in Sharapova's booth and rooting for Sharapova, which I just as another comedian, I just want to reference not me, but you. I just want to reference because uh, you've got a prominent American comedian at the time in the booth rooting for the. I think Sharapova is Russian, the or, mm-hmm, or Russian is. Federation, whatever, rooting for the Russian. And Serena Williams, the black woman, is like, that's very weird. I mean, may, again, maybe I'm seeing it through 2023 lens now, and maybe in 2012, nobody still gave, nobody gave a shit at, at the time, but uh, still a sort of an odd uh, move to see. Um, and then the other thing, what is that move when people do that, like, you know, that thing? You know what I'm talking about? What is that What do you mean? It? The macarena, the like a salsa dance. <laughs> is that a salsa or the tango? You know what I'm talking about? Like when yeah, people like, do that thing, like and a little cha cha, like, like a little cha cha, yeah, cha-cha, right? Yeah. She, I didn't, I because all I really saw was the crip walk. Like that's the mm-hmm. moment that transcended and continued. She also did like that little cha cha tangoy salsa dance thing. I don't know what it is. I'm not an answer. Mm-hmm. But she did that as well right afterwards. She's clearly having fun. Like she's clearly yeah. just excited and having fun. And I, I just want to add that that happens. She does that cha-cha thing right afterwards. And you, as they go up into, as they sort of the, the camera uh, goes up into the booth that she's, um, you know, clearly looking at it's Venus and family and friends reacting. They're dancing as well. It's like clearly a thing that they're all enjoying sort of together. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to mention here. Uh, I want to say one thing about, if I might, about uh, uh, black culture. Uh, I'm not black, proudly half Filipino, half Jewish. It's me and Rob Schneider, Chloe. We're the only two. Uh, but I find you look black. You and Pete <laughs> no. Davidson look oh my like you got some black in you. No, no, no. I, <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I, I do want to say one thing about black culture because I watch this. It does come screaming through to me. And again, I'm not. I don't even 100 percent know I'm allowed to say this, but I'm going to say it. We're going to see. Well, I'll just cut the thing out if I don't like it. Robbie, get, get on the get on the button here. We might cut this out. Uh, Trayvon Free, who someone I know you've worked with, written with, alongside on staffs. Recently said, I heard him say on Charlemagne's show, 
America's number one export is black culture. I think that's fascinating, almost certainly true. Nothing to me is more indicative to how irrepressible black African-American culture is in this country than the fact that a notorious murderous gang also created what is in essence one of the world's most successful and time-tested TikTok dances. They created a joyous dance. This gang, this group of people associated with violence and crime and also taking care of their community and their, and their neighborhoods also created a dance that has persisted and carried on, transcended into pop culture. That to me speaks to how irrepressibly joyous the black culture is, that this gang created this dance that people are still doing all the time. They're doing it on their phones. They're doing it at sporting events. I just think that's amazing. They created a dance. These gangsters created a dance. But but the thing is, like Trayvon says, is like, a black culture is the thing that funds a lot of things, right? For so sure. even like right now, there's this guy, I don't know his name, but I just started following him on Instagram and he does what I do in my head, which is he actually pinpoints like a popular song in the sample. Right. And so he did like a K-pop edition and every single song that he played by Blackpink, which is the number one yes. Korean girl group yes. in the world, yep. Yep. derived from black r&b classics of the 90s so they pull from biggie they pull from uh dr dre snoop Dogg. like when you hear it it's like the direct ripoff and so you know it's really sad is that we as black people have been made to believe that our culture is not enough and that it's not worthy and it's not profitable by people who swoop in and profit off of it right and then they turn around and sell it to the greater world and they make a profit off of it and then when you turn around and you think about like the r&b not even the rock and roll stars like the little richards and the you know chuck berries who never got their residuals who've never got the money these songs are still being played or interpreted or inspiring things you hear them in jingles you hear them in radio advertisements you hear them in soundtracks like you know and the people who originated the things don't get any money and so it's it's no longer enough to say you don't know it's like Mm -hmm. you know and you don't care that's right um or you're or you don't want to stop making money off of it but if you got to ask yourself why is your livelihood um attached to you profiting off of something instead of you engineering or inventing something Mm -hmm. then you need to really think maybe i'm not as superior as i think i am if i'm only just a succubent who is leeching off of the actual person who's doing the talented stuff you uh if you want to believe in the music and the musical artists that you love don't ever look into um little richard and what he did uh, through music and uh what he was able to establish and the artists he was able to grow and the influence that he has because it kind of all, all so much of it traces back to little richard too uh it really it's it's amazing uh, let's talk about um, the great uh, Crip Walkers. Is there a, who is the best Crip Walker for you? Do you have who are you putting your money on for the doing the best Crip Walk that you've seen? Have do you have a favorite Crip Walker? I don't know. I mean, I would have to say Snoop. I think he he He's up first there. of all, Snoop is just so smooth with it, and he very good. Like you know, I don't. I a part of me wants to know like how much of this is his actual personality and how much of it is cannabis, right? right. Because he, <laughs> you know, he is always you know smoked out. 
but he's just so smooth with it. Very good. Uh, Dub C, you remember Dub C? Mm-hmm. WC in the Mad Circle? He's a uh, fantastic Crip Walker, too. Uh, a, a ton of the clips of Serena doing this dance are all dubbed over with Dub C's <laughs> music, uh, <laughs> which is a lot of fun to, to re-listen to. Also, by the way, when I played Jodeci earlier, I had a completely different um, – this episode could be sponsored by Written. And then I realized, wait – I can do this Jodeci one that I've been wanting to do because Chloe will, Chloe will know Jodeci. I like bringing, uh, being able to bring up Jodeci. Um, I can't do those with, um, you know, young uh, social media influencer people. I need to do that with um, someone like Chloe Listen, who really gets I it. I realize I definitely am a part of an older generation. This morning, my Pilates instructors was like, do you guys know Suzanne Summers?" And it was me and two other people who were like, yes, you know <laughs> Suzanne Summers." Of course. <laughs> Three's company, come on, and the thigh master, the thigh master, yeah, yeah, the thigh master is like the progenitor to the forming grill. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole celebrity endorsement era was 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 classic. I mean, the products that they were able to sell us ridiculous. The shake weight. I mean, come on now. (laughs) Uh, Chloe, how did this season of Black Lady Sketch Show go? I know you're you guys are in post. How did the how did the season go? Are there any sketches you're particularly excited about? I you know, honestly, they're like all my babies, you mm. know, working on them with the writers from, you know, from pitch to rewrites to punch-ups to to editing to po- you know, like there's so many things that go into making this a, a show and especially a sketch show. But I mean, I think overall, I'm very proud of the season because it's my first as a co-head writer. And I do believe that I was able to like, you know, help hone and polish things in a way that really will resonate with the audience. And I, you know, we have an amazing team. I'm not, I'm not trying to take credit at all, but I do think that when you bring your experiences, your POV to something, you know, that's what people have you there for. You know, Mm -hmm. if they trust your voice, they trust Mm -hmm. your instinct and I can like, you know, weigh in and see things from a, a different perspective than someone else can see it. And I'm excited to see how people respond to the new direction of the season. We are going bigger and broader, um, which means that, you know, there's a lot of things that are like, no longer off limits in the sense of just like pushing the envelope and seeing Amazing. how things go. And I think Amazing. people are, are ready to see, you know, to see funny stuff, lighthearted, mm-hmm. funny stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, after the past couple of years that we've had, people are ready to laugh. And I think people are, are now prepared to see black women as the multifaceted and dimensional creative beings that we are instead of, you know, wanting us to be this one particular type of, of, of woman. Very exciting. When did, when does the show come out? Do you know? April fourteenth. April fourteenth. Fantastic. Season Everybody four premieres April fourteenth. Season four. Fantastic. You went to the Emmys. What was going to the Emmys like? Okay, so I went to both Emmy uh of award ceremonies. There's the technical Emmys, which mm. are for the people who do all of the hard work. Right. And I hate to say it like that, but <laughs> you know, the unsung no, heroes, the yeah, yeah, yeah. the people that whose name so sadly you don't get to see anymore because you can skip the credits. So everybody right. who whose name you skipped in the credits <laughs> is at the technical <laughs> Emmy Awards. The, the sad part about it is like you realize it's like low key, we need these award shows to justify the terrible hours, the long shoots, right. the horrible <laughs> conditions. It's like, 
You do all of this shit for nine months working on a set. You got, you know, now you got asthma because you were working in a dust bowl because you're doing a pioneer <laughs> film. And, you know, your friends are like, thank you for your support. And you're like, I got a statue. And it makes you forget all the shit that you did getting up at 3.30 in the morning, driving in the dark and eating cold pasta. And she was just going to say eat. by <laughs> Eating granola bars all day long. All day long. Like, you know, getting burnt out from being in the sun. Like, you know, being in a hot ass tent with six people looking at a monitor being like, that doesn't look right. Like, then you're like, here's your award. And you just do the shit again. And that's, I realized it was very self-grandizing, gratifying, but needed for, yeah. you know, for the right. mental anguish that Spirit. you really do go yes. through. Yeah. Oh, so funny. What was it like to go on the red carpet? Did you enjoy like getting dressed up and going on the red carpet and having pictures taken? It was interesting stuff? because, you know, I, you know, I'm a girl from Brooklyn and, you know, I'm a comic and I love to like make light of every situation. Yeah, so yeah, I yeah. never took it so seriously. Like, right, oh right, my right. God, this is a big deal. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, I, when it came to like what I was wearing, because I had two, I had to do two looks. Um, it's expensive, but you know, like, you know, you still want to present well because right. people take pictures and yes. I will say this, if I were not, um, a front facing person in the, in the sense of being a, a performer, stand up comedian, um, and I guess, you know, part-time actor when something is easy, I don't really like auditioning, but if somebody wants to give me a role, I'll do it, <laughs> you know? So, you know, if I wasn't front facing in that way, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily buy into all of the like hoopla. Right. of it but you know in the off chance of like somebody taking a picture of you you know you want to present well because the one thing that i have learned about living in hollywood is that people are consumed with image and they automatically associate image with success right and if you want to do business with somebody right and you roll up in a right. dusty car with some right. dusty shoes and a right. dusty shirt they will not do business with you Ugh. unless you are like an autistic white guy who's a savant <laughs> and can make like, you know, hit series or some shit. But like, but you know, if you, if you aren't presenting well, especially being a person of color, I, it's fucked up. But like, you know, they want to know that you're doing well. They want, right. they want to know where the sick, they want to know, they want to follow the money and they want to follow the success. And so, you know, because I am an all, it, you know, all sense of the word, like, I am proactive in mm-hmm. my life path. I'm strategic mm-hmm. and I know how to play the game. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, if I'm going to go to these events, I need to make sure I look good. Also, I'm a fucking giant. So if I look bad, <laughs> everybody's gonna see me looking bad. You know? And then and then what I didn't realize is that, you know, when you are when you're nominated, they have your name at the step and repeat. So you should right. go do press anyway right. because you're nominated. Like right. you're supposed to do it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I didn't do, I wasn't trying to like, I didn't do any other interviews on the red carpet because nobody knows who I am. But I was like, for fun, for posterity, yeah, I'll yeah, do yeah. it. And then yeah, I ended up being on like some best dress list, which Amazing. I didn't even buy. But also I really feel like low key, they didn't know who I was either. I was just a tall <laughs> black person and they realized if they're going to put a hundred pictures of best dressed people, they need to put a couple brown people. So I think that's... I think, hey, take it however you can get it. <laughs> diversity and inclusion is how I ended up on those best dress lists, but I'll take it. Congratulations. That's fantastic. Uh, the next credentials are ear tests. What did we hear in this moment? I'm going to play you a couple clips. At 15:15 in the final game, a spectator shouted this. Where the hell is it? Shouted this. Baby, 
Oh no, that's my Jodeci clip. Sorry about that. No, the spectator shouted this. Very sweet. Don't give up, Maria. Very sweet. She's getting absolutely drubbed. Just getting drilled. That's the other thing. Tennis, very quiet game. Not much to hear here. Someone begging Maria not to give up as she's literally moments away from losing this game. Uh, Fantastic. Here's the reaction to the dance uh, from the announcers. One of these, uh, Mary Carrillo was the announcer, the, the veteran, Mary Carrillo, who I love. On NBC's coverage said, I'm not sure I've ever seen that from Serena Williams before. That's after the dance. That's a reaction to the dance. Again, lots of these clips ruined by Dub C and, and Dre uh, audio clips online. Good luck finding a, a good uh, good copy of this audio. The And then this is the reaction uh, on the Olympics broadcast to the dance. We're seeing some uh, snazzy moves as we saw real power on the court. I think what both what all of these reactions score and help set up is a very very white uh, scenario, a snazzy moves. I'm not sure I've ever seen that from Serena Williams. I love that this that this setting honestly feels like it could not get more white. You know what it is white people like white people really got to ask themselves why do they not have joy in their life? Right. Because when they see other people exhibit joy, it it ruffles their feathers in a way where instead of them saying, why don't I have that in my life? They go, what's wrong with that person? Right. That's a great point. Like, do white people just break out and dance? Do they break out and no, do like, never. like if, if a good song come on, everybody know how to get on a downbeat and just do a little cha-cha <laughs> slide? Like, what do y'all do to exhibit your happiness? High five and woo? Like, y'all not tired of slapping hands? Uh, my mother's white. I've never seen her dance ever. Not once in my entire life. My mother wouldn't be caught dead dancing. That's it. Let me go even further. My mother would never dance in public ever. I don't know what that says about her, but she would never do it. She's never, never seen it. My God, she never danced. Uh, the next credentials are test of time. This is when we compare this moment against other moments like it. I'm, I, I like tennis, but I don't know a ton about it. So if I'm comparing this moment against other dominant tennis matches, it's going to be pretty short. I know Federer and Nadal had some classics. I, I got to plug my guy, Michael Chang, fantastic tennis player. He's had some great matches. What I want to do is compare this against other famous crip walks in the sports world. Brent Barry, very white, uh, You'd think maybe he did the crip walk when he won the slam dunk title. He didn't. He did a crip walk when he was participating in the three-point competition. Paige Stoyakovich actually won it. Have you seen Brent Berry's uh, uh, crip walk? No, I haven't. Should it's I very that white. Right now? No, it's there's not much to see. Don't bother. Uh, Rick Barry, the patriarch of the family, one of the best NBA players ever. His sons, Brent and John, uh, they all look, I say this with deep respect for the Brent, for the Barry family. They all look nerdy, which I think hurts his crip walk. Um, very nerdy looking guy. Did it for the Seattle Supersonics, which I appreciate. Go Sonics. Sonics deserve a team, uh, but not a very good uh, crip walk. And that's a, that's a real shame. Oh, yeah. I'm watching a clip of it and it's feeling very. <laughs> Square dance. Like, it's very like Hoot and Nanny. It's very like gym class, line dance instruction week. Did you ever have line dance instruction yes, week in gym class? We I did. Had it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
hoot nanny is such a funny word and you're right it's got a very like uh you know what is it the hay in his mouth what is that was the dueling banjos the dueling banjos you know how much you know how expensive that clip is by the way this is stuff that i've learned in television but you know how expensive it is to pay for the fucking dueling banjos if y'all don't go out there and bang some pots and upload it so they can fucking pay you for it it's crazy uh another great crip walk russell westbrook kind of sort of crip walked over half court against the Cavs when he played for the lakers that one was fun i think he copped it after the game and then you've mentioned it already snoop dogg did the crip walk at the super bowl in front of millions and millions a global audience tens of millions of people watch snoop dogg do the crip walk at the super bowl those are fantastic do do you we we feel certain i feel certain serena's is the best crip walk of all of them anything any other any other uh, comments on the on the famous crip walks of our times no i mean again it's one of those things that you know started with a with a, a sub a violent subculture that was out here fighting for survival and combating the the drug epidemic that crippled black and brown communities and had to resort to, you know, violence and selling drugs, et cetera. And now people do it on Dancing with the Stars. Amazing. So. Amazing. <laughs> you, it, it, that, that is a nice segue to our next credential. It's called You Mad. Rob, play my camera on clip here. You wait, mad, wait. you mad, you mad. Thank you so much. You mad. It's, it's, did this moment piss anybody off? I love it when people get angry about sports. Bonus points when it's an old white person. And, and we found some, some anger here. The people at Fox News, you know, and there's like, if you type in like Serena Williams and like the letter C, like Crip Walk will come up. And then it's like Crip Walk controversy. And so I'm like thinking, great. Someone's angry. I love it. I'm going to use this for the show. And I start looking in like, who's pissed off about her doing the Crip Walk? It, you you see all that on social media, like that. Uh, oh, the, they're treating, and you're like, where is this controversy coming from? And it feels like it always comes from someone at Fox News who's just stirring the pot for engagement. I don't know that they believe anything that they're saying, but they write it knowing that it'll piss people off. And then everybody talks about it and the algorithm feeds it and it becomes a big giant talking point. And, and the, 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 uh, uh, the, the Iowa LSU game, number one, most viewed uh, women's game of all time. And, and, you know, Roy Wood Jr. Who's hosting the daily show this week, the week of, of us recording this episode, uh, just commented and said, uh, you know, it's any time trash talking is good for the sport, especially if, if it could lead to a race war, it feels like the same sort of like anger that foments and feeds uh, uh, algorithms and social media online is it's going to start bleeding its way into sports here. This is a perfect example. As I start looking into this controversy, uh, all I could find was two Fox News pieces. Actually, I think it's just one Fox News piece and one piece from Jason Whitlock, who is a real oh. piece of work. A real goddamn piece of work. The Fox News one does the byline just says Fox News. It goes like by Fox News. And here, let me read just a little bit from the Fox News piece. You couldn't help but shake your head. It was as if Serena just couldn't seem to avoid dipping into waters of controversy, even as she descended to the top of her sport. For the uninitiated, the Crip Walk is a funky little hip hop dance move made famous by Crip gang members in Compton in the 1970s. And there was Serena, the tennis legend, the winner of 14 individual Grand Slams, the best player of her generation, the American girl being crowned at the All England Club as the queen of tennis 
crip walking all over the most lily white place in the world. First off, that sentence goes super hard. Crip walking all over the most lily white place in the world. That's a great sentence. Yeah. If it was done, if it was done in support of her action. Right. Yes. Right. Against her action. You're right. It's, uh, and it's amazing how every social media post or a lot of them, you, if you click deep enough into the thread, you go, Oh yeah. It started off of this article, which was written by someone called Fox News. Like there's not even a name on it. It's just someone that goes, I'm going to stir some shit up. I'm going to put this out because. I either hate black people or I don't care if other people hate black people and I'm willing to, to to monetize that. They put this thing out. And then now we know that this was a quote unquote controversial moment when the truth is her crip walking over the most lily white place in the world is fantastic. That's phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, Jason Whitlock wrote, quote, what Serena did was akin to cracking a tasteless x-rated joke inside a church serena deserved to be called out what she did was immature and classless she made a mistake that's something we all do your thoughts on jason whitlock let me tell you something about jason whitlock (laughs) jason whitlock is the prime example of someone who thinks that appealing to whiteness is going to make him better and more successful right and they don't like his ass either right that's the truth so they like him to to race bait and to, you know, be a mouthpiece. Like Jason Whitlock's, you know, so, okay, when white people say they have a black friend, you got to ask them, is it a Jason Whitlock <laughs> black friend? Because that's not a black friend. That's, that's an enemy of the state who just happens to be black. So if that's in your top five friends, right? If you if you got Candace Owens, Jason Whitlock, Amarosa, <laughs> you know Judge Joe Brown, and Judge Joe Brown, <laughs> and and the fucking sheriff nigga that was killing people in the jail cells. If those is your your five black friends that you got, those are not the five black friends you want to tell people about. Uh, is wait a minute, I'm I'm crushed. Is Judge Joe Brown a Jason Whitlock? He's a conservative. I think oh, he's speaking I didn't out. Realize, you know. of course he is. I mean, why would I question that? He's Judge Joe Brown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I didn't know that. That's really disappointing. I mean, that really makes me sad. Um, that's, I mean, a great comment. That's perfect. A perfect ad here. Uh, Chloe, two part question here. You're a born and raised New Yorker. Is that correct? That is correct. But you moved to Los Angeles. Here's my follow up question. What kind of punk shit is that? Listen. You know what? You speak like a person. <laughs> Who has never lived in a city where it's like 80 degrees on like a December day and you don't have to shovel out a car. You don't have to deal with like rodents or mass transportation. Like I can go for a hike anytime I want. I can go to the beach and chill out. Like the quality of life here is so different. And it's interesting because I realize now like a lot of my New York friends who moved out here. They really didn't want to tell me how great it was because mm. they don't want people coming here. Like they truly right. don't want people coming here because so many people come here. It's true. Right, right, right. And I know that I've had like, you know, a great time here as far as like my career has definitely blossomed since being here. And I know that's not the norm. Mm. So I would say if I didn't have a job, if I wasn't, you know, building my career and I moved out here, I could be miserable too, you know. Right. So <laughs> I think it depends on how well your life is going. Um, and how you, you know, and where you are in your life, because I feel like now that I'm an older woman, you know, I'm in my forties, 
when I was in my thirties and my twenties, I don't think I was ready to live here because right. the, the, the life pace is different. Mm. Um, and also the life pace is different and I wasn't in a position to be in the positions that I am now right. as far as like being in television production. So I would have been out here for comedy, which is the wrong thing. Don't yeah. ever move out here if you want to be a stand-up comic. Because most people move out here because they want to be an actor. Right. And they become a stand-up comic hoping that it will help them become an actor. <laughs> and then they're just terrible on stage. <laughs> and also, I want to say to you people listening, don't, you know, she has a point. Now, a lot of, not everybody moves out to LA and flourishes. That's not the norm. Chloe's not the norm. Don't go, don't listen to Chloe and go, I can go do what Chloe does. You can't go do what Chloe does. She you know what's so special. funny about that? You saying that? Like, low key, when people be like, can you be my mentor? I'm like, I really don't know what to tell you because I, because I don't even see, like, I don't see myself as being like, you know, Neil, you know me. I don't yes. see myself as being different. I, I see myself as just doing what I need to do. I, you, you are strategic. You used that word earlier. You were strategic and you're focused and you're moving forward. And I appreciate that about you. Let's talk quickly about your uh, journalism career. You worked for The Source. You created five mics. Is that true or false? You created no, five that mics. Did, no, please do not say that. Hell no. I do not want Ray Benzino knocking on my fucking door talking about I took his origin story. No. I did not create the five mics. Well, I know that. What did you do at The Source? I interned there when it was at the height, when the right. magazine was like right. the number one yes. selling publication Amazing. on newsstands yeah, in America. Yeah, yeah. The right. no, like it was like Vogue, The Source, and like Amazing. a couple of the people who had like the top numbers every month. Right. And so that was my internship time there. And then when I went back a couple years later, the mighty had fallen, the industry had changed. And it was like a small ragtag group of us who were there like working overnight trying to get the issue out. Like I was able to go from assistant editor to, I believe it was like features editors or news Amazing. editor. You know, like I had a couple different like yeah, titles yeah, yeah. over the course of my time right. there. Um, and then I left because I left because I was burnt out. I was tired. Um, it wasn't as like fruitful as I had hoped it would be because the, the industry and the reputation was so bad. Mm. Um, I left that and went to the Village Voice. I was a staff writer for about two and a half years. I had about like seven or eight cover stories. I worked Amazing. with like Lynn Yeager and Michael Musto and Tom mm. Robbins and like all these like illustrious, like hard veteran investigative reporters. And, you know, I did like some deep dive investigative reporting and I covered still mainly my, you know, my heart is always with like social, social issues that pertain to people of color and, mm. you know you know, the the system of being marginalized folks and whatever it is, like whatever those stories were, I wanted to tell those stories. So I covered a lot of uh, subject matter that pertain that, that focused on people of color as a subject, mm -hmm. but were topics that related to anybody. Mm -hmm. And that was, to me, that's how I like to address diversity. It's like, you love to think that we're so different, but mm -hmm. here's a mom who wants mm -hmm. a better school for her mm -hmm. son the same way you do. Right. She just happens to be black. Yep. And then over some time I got, another job working at vibe when do you when do you get into comedy well so around the same time so when i was even when i was even vibe i started doing i took a stand-up comedy class and then i also got this other job and so i was at that job for maybe like seven eight months because i took that job because it was supposed to be flexible i got to work from home mm -hmm. but i ended up having to work such long hours that it was cutting into what i thought would be my new stand-up comedy right. career time right, and right, so right. 
I worked really hard to get laid off, not fired, laid off from that job so I could get unemployment. There you and go. then getting unemployment <laughs> from that job, I was able to start doing stand-up Don't comedy. Stand up. And then um, maybe three years into stand-up, I did uh, Last Comic Standing. I was only three years in when I did Last Comic Standing. And from Last Comic Standing, I was able to do college tours for six or seven years. I was just on the road doing colleges. Uh, you also have, I just want to plug this and we're going to put it on our social at first ballot HOF on Instagram at first ballot pod on Twitter. I realize those should be the same. Uh, she has one of my favorite uh, standup sets uh, that the real origin of America that you did for standup comedy. I love that clip. Oh, I, lo- I love I, I love that. You sent that to me one night and I showed it to my wife. We laughed so hard. I love that. It's again, it's um, not just funny. It's very smart and makes you think, and that to me is what makes you uh, so special. I'm gonna, we're going to post that as well. A link to that. Um, you can check it out there. We got to keep moving. The next credential, the press conference. Any famous quotes from this? You know, this is like the one sort of negative. Serena afterwards, I think, knowing that the pressure and the controversy was coming, started to maybe tell some uh, lies about uh, of this moment. She was asked uh, questions about this. She said, quote, I don't think I've ever danced like that. I don't even know where that dance came from. The U.S. Open reporter asked her a question. Serena's response, first of all, it was just a dance. I didn't know that what it, I didn't know what it was called. I nobody believes that. <laughs> Listen, she, the, the she PR said, game was strong. <laughs> the spin cycle was spinning. It quote it just happened. I was so excited that it just came out. I guess I'm good at it. But no, it's not about her being comfortable. It's about the people around her supporting who she right. is as an authentic right. person. Right. And you know, like I said earlier, oftentimes when a black person is is about to excel in a white space, they have to minimize their mm-hmm. blackness mm-hmm. because everything that we do is seen as a threat. Mm-hmm. Everything that we do is seen as a threat, and it's not. And and it shouldn't be on us to figure why you are uncomfortable you should do the work to ask yourself why you're uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and if the answer is as simple as you don't like blackness and black people Mm -hmm. then you racist and when Mm -hmm. we call you racist you don't get a chance to argue with us back because i think that's Mm -hmm. the funniest thing it's like whenever you say something is racist Mm -hmm. they get more upset at you calling them racist than acknowledging that we are the de facto expert on what is racist because it's being targeted at us right i mean you're it's perfect that's perfect those are perfect sentences um Chloe, it's time for a new segment we just started recently. It's called Dream Team. Everybody knows what the Dream Team was. It's a 92 basketball team. Probably Dream Teams before that. We've established that. This Dream Team, Barkley, Jordan, Bird, uh, uh, Magic Johnson, uh, Patrick Ewing, Christian Leitner, et cetera, et cetera. should have been Shaq. Whatever. Dream Team. you got to pick the best. The best of the best. You have to put together your Dream Team. I need you to put your producer hat on. Pick your dream lineup for a night of stand-up. You are producing the Dream Team stand-up comedy show using any and all stand-ups from all time, dead or alive. Give me the lineup you're putting on stage in order, please. Who's going first? Who's closing? I think you could do three. I think five would be a little bit better. Listen, it's your call, Chloe. You're putting together a dream team. I'm thinking Dave Chappelle. Opening. Opening. Wow. Um, Marsha Warfield. Oh, I love it. I love it. Don Rickles. <laughs> I love it. This is fantastic. Um, Eddie Murphy. Okay. And and then Richard Pryor. I mean, you got it all. 
You got it all. Yeah. What a fantastic night. That's a, those are great answers. And pulled very quickly. I love that you have Marsha Warfield. I think of Marsha Warfield as uh, the woman from Night Court, but Marsha Warfield, long, prodigious uh, stand-up career as well. She was. She wrote for Pryor. She she worked. Oh, I didn't with, realize. She worked. She she wrote on Richard Pryor's short-lived feature. I mean, short-lived television series that sketch show. I had no idea. Um, but she did like she wrote his joke. She did the roast, back, like not you know, like the Friars roast. Mm-hmm. She was on the dais for that stuff. She worked mm-hmm. with Paul Mooney. She 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 did a lot of stuff. I mean, she's she was too she was too prior what Wanda Sykes was to Chris Rock, right? Like the, her, a confidant, a friend, a, yes. a comic who they respected and and you know help work out their material but i just like her tone like if you watch her old stand-up like she would mm. be on stage smoking a cigarette drinking a drink <laughs> just like smooth smoothly delivering some crazy shit and you're like wow that's fucking hilarious <laughs> chloe i see that the clock is winding down on us it's almost time for america's favorite podcast segment it's called more important chloe hilliard are you ready for more important yes here we go chloe all episode long, you've done an amazing job supporting black Americans, black culture, black athletes, black comedians. It's time for you to give love to some white people. Who, <laughs> who are the white people you want to say some nice things about before we finish this episode? Um. Oh, I'm so sorry, Chloe. We don't have time for that. It's time for something more important. The music's playing. The timer's ticking down. Chloe, I'm about to ask you a bunch of questions. Your answer to these questions will all be far more important than any of the bullshit you were about to make up about white people you like. Your your answers to these questions will define who you are as a person. Are you ready for more important? Let's do it. Here we go. What is your favorite beverage? Right now, because I'm 42 and I was diagnosed as being pre pre diabetic, I'm going to say unsweetened iced tea. Oh, you coward! Better highlight a great three pointer or a great pass. Oh, a great three pointer. Are you t- really? I don't like that. I don't like that. Wait a minute. Are you? Do you will you put dunks over a great three pointer? You must. Like a buzzer beater three pointer over a dunk. Okay. Oh, um, you t- you're going a buzzer. buzzer beater, buzzer beater for sure. I like the whole bullied. the whole crowd erupts. Uh, uh, people, uh, if right. it's a March Madness, they they descend onto right. the court. Yes, the, I appreciate you not getting. Up. Nobody's <laughs> hoisting up the big nigga that dunk on their shoulder. Shaq has never been hoisted up. <laughs> a fantastic author, Chloe, author of Fuck Your Diet. What is your favorite frozen dairy dessert or treat? Do you have a favorite ice cream bar? What freezer treat do you love? Yeah. And it will say a lot about you. Um, I I like Ben and Jerry's non dairy ice cream line. Oh my god! What you're really giving a lot of a lot of old lady answers here, Chloe. The non dairy, like the almond. <laughs> they have a sunflower <laughs> sunflower. Oh milk my one. god! They, Chloe. Yeah, yeah. No cow's milk in my system. Just give me some <laughs> almond nut juice. <laughs> I did see you on social post about Friendly's watermelon. Yes, ice okay, cream so when, I, when I was a kid, I mean, I, you can't pay me to eat it now, but like right. as a kid, my New York City family would pile into our car and we would drive up north to see the fall foliage because right. that was us getting out of the city. And then we would right. stop at a Friendly's and we would order something for Friendly's. Look at and that. then we would always bring home the watermelon uh, log yes, back yes. for the freezer and we would eat that for a couple of days as like a to to really cement our voyage into the fall uh, foliage. 
I that's what I'm taking. That's what I'm accepting as your answer. Get rid of that fucking Ben and Jerry's non-dairy Ugh. bullshit. We're going with the friendlies one thing. Two-part question. Name me one R&B group better than Jodeci and good fucking luck and tell me your favorite Jodeci song. But I would say I would say Drew, Cl- Drew Hill was pretty close. I think Wow. Close. I'm not a fan. Not a fan. I understand some- the answer just not my cup of tea. Listen. Yeah, that's true. They were different. Jodeci was bad boys, and they were the first bad boys at R&B, and they were wearing I all leather, it. singing in a hot-ass <laughs> fucking desert, talking about, baby, I'm begging, baby, I'm begging, begging, begging. And we ate it up. It's the best. I mean, does it get better than that? Those guys, I mean, I'll sit, let me, let me listen. Casey and JoJo went for it. Yeah. They're fantastic. Do you have a favorite Jodeci song? Um, oh, I would say Jodeci heavy episode here. I like Feenan. I like yeah, Feenan. Feenan's so good. <laughs> yeah, I like Feenan for sure. It's so and good. I, and and um, get on up. Like they're uh, like it's probably the one upbeat song they have that right, isn't right, about right. pussy. Get on up. <laughs> oh my god! Somebody <laughs> somebody beat that. Uh, <laughs> uh, Chloe, what's the goat comedy show of all time? What's the greatest comedy show of all time? That doesn't mean your favorite. It means the best. What is the best like comedy written, show of like, all time? Like script written yes. comedy? And, and acted as well. Acted, edited I, I, with honestly, the best comedy final product ever. I would say Martin. The best. I, could, I would say I honestly, agree more. truly, like watching, I obviously watched it again. Like, Yes. I truly, I truly want to get back into the world of multicam sitcoms yes. because yes. I think that there are a host of actors and actresses that we don't get to see because mm-hmm. they're not famous, mm-hmm. but they can deliver a yes. live line and yes. they can react to a live yes. audience. Agreed. And they come from they come from theater. They've been mm-hmm. trained. Like when you think about like Tashina and Tisha, Tashina, Tashina Arnold, Arnold and Tisha Campbell. Who uh, were Gina and Pam? They had been acting in Broadway since they were like nine yes, years old. They right. were the backup singers in Little Shop of Horror. They've yeah. done like stage plays and feature films, and they can sing their asses off. So they bring all of that to their yes, characters. Yes. I mean, Martin was an outstanding stand-up comedian. Cole was, you know, Carl Payne, who played Cole, has been acting since he was a kid. He a was kid, on a Cosby yes. show. Cockroach. You know, the only one that I didn't really know was Tommy, Tommy but he right. was an, a, an incredible actor. And so when you really watch, like, when you really watch mm-hmm. and when you see them, like, breaking and pulling mm-hmm. back together and you hear the mm-hmm. audience going nuts. Crazy. Like, like, we don't get to see that on television anymore. It doesn't anymore. happen and anymore. they did it. I mean, it's sad, like, how, you know, the shit imploded, but, like, for when it was good and rocking those first yeah. like three seasons oh my god hard to hard as to touch. good I mean, as it gets as good as it's good as good as like um lucille ball honestly is yeah. i mean not lucille ball as good as um the other lady carol burnett yes it, 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 and my favorite one of my favorite things about martin is that everyone that loved martin loves martin today Everyone believes and understands that it uh, stands the test of time. And if you bring up a Martin uh, moment to someone that loves Martin, everybody remembers everything about it. They remember the dog, the stuffed dog that he brings on. It's mm-hmm. just there are so many amazing moments from that show. I love that answer. A fantastic answer. Uh, last question. we got to keep moving here. More important. Who is the actor or actress you most want to write for? Who inspires you? Who is the man or woman you want to work with before your career is over? Julia Roberts. I, I love this answer. I love Julia Roberts. What Julia what, what Roberts. is it about Julia Roberts that you love so much? Because because Julia Roberts really truly was a part of my life. Like, oh, <laughs> like I love it. Growing up, like right. I you know I think that 
as you get older, and I think why people, especially when they hit their 40s, they become more introspective because you really get a chance to like sit on a perch and mm-hmm, look at your life into mm-hmm, that moment and see mm-hmm. how everything like interweaves into right. who you are. Right. And I really spent a lot of time, my mother loved romantic comedies. We would yes. watch like British yes. shows. We watched Hugh Grant. We watched Notting Hill. We watched Pretty <laughs> Woman. Like I watched Mystic Pizza. I right. mean, like. Even when she got into her crime phase, when she was feeling real sassy with her oversized blazers, with her and Denzel Washington and busting the, you know, the crypto crimes of the nineties, like, I, like she was a goofy girlfriend. She was the girl next door. She was awkward and silly and real. And I think you know that I feel like I, I even though I don't know her, I think even the fact that she's not Hollywood and she doesn't live here shows yeah. that like she's still like yes. for what it can be a grounded person and yes. I think she brings that to her roles and you know she seems cool and yes. I feel like she's also like a down ass person who's yeah. not a weirdo oh, I love it. so I mean I would love to write like a romantic comedy I mean I think I have an idea already but I would love to get like you know her in something and direct her especially. oh my god that'd be so amazing if you ever work with julia roberts um yeah you're you're inviting me to set i just want to see you work with her i don't want to meet her i just want to see you working with her that would make me that would fill my heart that would be fantastic yeah. uh we got to move on you did great that's that's the end of more important you did fantastic we got to move on the next credential is our cosign chloe the floor is yours does serena williams's crip walk belong in the first belt hall of fame and why Absolutely. I think it does. I think it does because she was celebrating who she was. And a part of who she was is a girl from Compton Mm -hmm. who was able to dominate in this lily white sport. And, you know, hindsight is 2020. History has proven that she was on the right side of history because everybody's doing that crip walk walk now. And it's so sanitized and it's like an Apple store. Everybody's in there (laughs) trying to get a piece of it. And it's for the mass consumption now. So. I hate the fact that she even had to apologize for her authentic reaction to winning such a, you know, amazing game. But as we see, she was right. And I think also down the line, as we see, she truly is the greatest athlete of all time. Like truly. You got, you're going to have a goddamn hard time uh, saying somebody else. Uh, That's the truth. Uh, Fantastic. Perfect. As always, as you have been all episode long, it's time for the induction speech. That's when I Neil get to decide whether this thing's going to go in. I'm going to take everything Chloe said into account here um, because she's smarter than I am because she's a black woman, because she understands Serena Williams more than I do. I I just want to say this about the first bell hall of fame. And I've said it before. The first bell hall of fame is the intersection between that peak athletic performance and execution and showmanship of the highest order, that attitude. Serena's Crip Walk comes in the goddamn Olympics. And she, after she's laid waste to this Russian opponent to win the gold medal, she does a dance created by a gang and popularized by West Coast rappers, Dub C, Snoop, and it pisses off a bunch of old white guys. I mean, what else do you want in a sports moment? That's as good as it gets. This is without question a first ballot Hall of Famer. Congratulations to Chloe Hilliard, the GOAT, Serena Williams, Venus Williams. Congrats to Maria Sharapova for getting absolutely waxed. Congrats to the Serena Williams Crip Walk is hereby inducted in the first ballot Hall of Fame. May your plaque hang on our walls forever. Chloe, how do you feel? You must feel great. You know, honestly, it's just another day of being a black woman. You know, I carried, I carried the torch. I handed it off. 
Someone had to do it. I'm glad that I'm here to validate my sister who needs no validation. But, you know, what's stronger than the word of one black woman, the word of two. So I did my part. <laughs> what can you plug? How can people follow you? You can follow me on Instagram, uh, Chloe underscore Hilliard, H-I-L-L-I-A-R-D. I'm on Twitter until Elon kicks me off. I'm really trying to get kicked off at this point. <laughs> um, I mean, I might as well burn it down. I saw you calling him a loser. <laughs> He's a loser. Um, I, I'm, I'm launching a clothing line that uh, stems from my Fuck Your Diet. So I'm doing hoodies Amazing. and sweatshirts and t-shirts. So uh, you can go to fyourdiet.com. Uh, the store will be live shortly if it's not already. Um, and you can, you know, buy and support and, you know, watch watch new season of Black Lady Sketch Show. Let me know what you think about it. And, you know, follow me. Join my mailing list because we know social media is just the middleman that wants to control everybody. So <laughs> hit, hit me directly before they take my livelihood away from me. And um, that's it. Get on the bandwagon now. She's going straight up. Chloe, thank you for doing the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Neil. That's it. That's the show. My special thanks to Ms. Chloe Hilliard. She is a powerhouse. I'm so lucky to know her. An exciting career to watch. We should all support her. Thanks to Rob Bob for editing. Thanks to Jessica Sang for producing. Rhythm J makes the beats. My shout out today goes to the fine people over at Basket Mag. B-S-K-T Magazine. They're a small basketball culture magazine first issue available new york city portland paris amsterdam and los angeles i can't wait to check it out they hit me told me that they've been listening to the show i really appreciate them reaching out lucky to have you guys on the team if you listen to the show or review us please let me know so i can shout you out we're all we've got we're helping each other and please come back next week for more first balance